Today we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper with our homebound members, those members of ours who are no longer able to attend church, but they still love this church and pray regularly for it. And as we are here to participate in the supper, our deacons are in their homes, and they are going to participate with us through the television ministry. So take your Bibles, please. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse number 17. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together for the better, not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, in order that those who are approved may have become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or you, do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There is no scripture more definitive concerning the Lord's Supper than this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, Paul begins in his discussion of the issue by dealing with worship. And he focuses, first of all, on outward apparel. And the reason he does that is because that is the way we judge each other. We judge each other based on externals because we cannot see what is inside another person. So he mentions hair in verse number 14. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. It seems that throughout much of our history, there has been some question concerning the length of hair and spirituality. In the first little church that I pastored, we had a minister of music who had hair that was a little long. Back then it was about the length of mine, but the people considered it to be too long. And so there was some, uh, some discussion about that. Thankfully, we have never had a complaint about the length of Steve Phillips' hair, so we're grateful for that. In verse number 10, he talks about a woman's head being covered, which was a sign of submission. That may not be so, but at least she looked as if she were submissive. The point, however, is that you and I look at each other externally and make our judgments there, and that's usually the, wrong, the reason we are wrong in our judgment. God is not nearly so concerned with outward appearance as He is the inward attitude of the heart. And so the Scripture says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, God sees not as man sees, 
For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Paul, as he discusses the Lord's Supper, focuses his attention on our worship. And there are some things we can learn here. First of all, he teaches us that division desecrates the Lord's Supper. And the church in Corinth was divided. They were a carnal church. They were a divided church. It says in verse number 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. So Paul is speaking to this church, and he says, you come together, but you remain apart. You assemble, but there is no unity. They were divided over their leadership. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 11 and 12, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I meant this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. So the church in Corinth was divided Concerning leadership, these followed this leader, these followed this leader, but the result was the church was divided. Not only were they divided over leadership, they also divided over doctrine, especially spiritual gifts. There was another problem in the church in Corinth, and that's they had a problem of attitude. The fact is, this church that was a carnal church felt that they were spiritually superior to others. And so Paul wrote to them in 1 Corinthians 14:36, "Was it from you that the word of God first went forth?" So Paul asked them the question, did did the word of God initiate with you? Did it first go forth from you? And then he continues, "Or has it come to you only? Are you the only ones who have the word of God?" There was this sense of spiritual superiority within this church. They acted as if they were keepers of the Word. The truth is they had no comprehension of worship. He says in verse number 20, Therefore when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. One is hungry, another is drunk. Within their worship, they were very self-focused. They were a self-centered people. It was what I want. Not a focus on God, but what I want. There are many today in our churches who have a superior attitude concerning worship, believing that only what they approve is acceptable. The Bible, however, uses several different verbs that describes worship for us. We translate them all worship. One is proskuneo, which means to pay homage or to reverence. And the point is, real worship always reveres God. God is the center. God is the focus. W.B. Knight wrote, It would be as easy to grow roses on an iceberg as to create an atmosphere of worship where reverence is lacking. So then, one of the verbs that is used speaks of reverence towards God. If we worship God, there is reverence toward God. Another word is sebomai, which means a feeling of awe or devotion. 
Worship does include the emotion. There are some who think that if there is any emotion displayed, that is not real worship. And they have this superior attitude about worship. Another word is lacruo, which means to, re- to render a religious service or homage. Worship involves service, not just feelings. Sometimes we think that. Worship is the feeling that we have, but one of the words that is used means that it is service. As you serve, you're actually worshiping God. Another word you see, B.O., which means to act piously. True worship involves our actions. It isn't just coming and having a certain feeling. It involves action. W. Vine wrote that worship is not confined to praise. Broadly, it may be regarded as the direct acknowledgement to God of His nature, attributes, ways, and claims, whether by the outgoing of the heart in praise and thanksgiving or by deed done in such acknowledgement. Paul is saying when we come to the Lord's table, division desecrates the supper. Even if we have an attitude of being spiritually superior, division desecrates the Lord's table. Secondly, illustration through the elements, verse number 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, the elements of the Lord's Supper illustrate our proper focus, and there are three. You'll notice in verse number 24, he says, Do this in remembrance of me. So the Lord's Supper, then, is a time of remembrance. It is a time to remember. You are aware that the Lord's Supper has its roots in the Jewish Passover. And at the Jewish Passover, the boy would say to his father, Why is this night different from other nights? And the father would then tell him the story of the Passover. It was a time to remember. The Lord's Supper is also a time of remembrance. And so when the elements are passed in just a few moments... The bread symbolizes or reminds us of his broken body. The juice is a reminder of his shed blood. It reminds us of his provision. You know that in the Passover, the sacrificial lamb was slain. The blood was smeared on the doorpost. And when the death angel saw the blood, he passed over them. We are reminded that Jesus is our Passover lamb. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So it is a time of remembrance. We remember his provision. He says in verse number 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. The message of the supper in our message is the crucifixion of Christ on the cross. Our mandate is that we preach that message until he comes. You'll notice the expectation there in verse 26. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is a reminder to us of the Lord's return. The Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible says 
this passage from Acts, and he's referring to Acts 2, 46 and 47, suggests that the supper fellowship of the earliest Jewish Christians was a daily observance. This may well have been the case in view of their vivid expectation of the imminent return of Jesus from heaven and the second coming. So if the author is correct in the New Testament church, in the early days of the church, they took the Lord's Supper daily. The Bible does not tell us how often. It simply says as often as you do it. But they took it daily as a reminder to them of the return of Jesus Christ. There are over 300 verses in the New Testament that speak of the return of Christ. And the Bible says that he is coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. The Scripture says that he is going to return in victory. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. And ladies and gentlemen, his return is our blessed hope. Paul wrote in Titus 2.13, Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So when we come to participate in the supper in just a moment, it is a time to remember His provision for us. It is a message that we proclaim and we expect the return of Jesus. Now, preparation of the believer. There's to be examination, verse 28, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now, the examination is to be personal. He said that we are to examine ourselves. Folks, you don't need to examine somebody else. Examine ourselves. You examine you. You don't need to examine anyone else. Verse number 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus. Now, he is not speaking here about our worthiness. He is speaking about our attitude. That as we participate in the supper, our attitude is to be correct. It also deals with our relationship. My relationship with God, my relationship with others is to be right. Because there's a warning in verse 29. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. So Paul says this is a serious time. Because some did not participate in the Lord's Supper properly with the right attitude, not worthiness, but attitude. He said some are sick and some have died. Now he makes a promise to us that if we judge ourselves, God does not judge us. In verse 32, he says that we might be disciplined by God, but we are not sentenced to hell. Now, in verse number 33, So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Paul used those words five times in this passage. Come together. We come together in place. We come together in spirit. And he said we wait for one another. Young or old, rich or poor, we are to be considerate of each other as we participate in the Lord's Supper. Now, let me conclude. The Lord's Supper is a time to look back. We look back to His cross where He died for us, paying for our sins, that we might be forgiven. So as we participate in the Supper, it is a time to look back. It is a time to look up. We see God. It is His Supper. He provided it. It is a time to look out. We see each other, and it is a time to look in. Am I right with God? Is my heart 
right with God. Every Jew dreams of taking the Passover in Jerusalem. Many of them conclude the Passover meal with a toast. And the toast says next year in Jerusalem. There's a small church in Wisconsin that has picked up on that. And when they participate in the Lord's Supper at the end, they lift their cups and say next year with Jesus. I don't know if this will be the last supper we take on this earth or not, but I know that it is looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. When you and I, who know Jesus Christ, sit down with Him at His table and we eat the marriage supper of the Lamb with Him. Do you know Him? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord? Have you allowed Him to forgive you of your sin? Before we partake of the supper, because it is so important that you are right with God, we want to extend an invitation. And if you're here without Christ, the invitation is that you might receive Him. If the Lord has spoken to you about a church home, our doors are open to you. But we want to give you that opportunity. Will you stand with me, please, as we pray? Gracious Father and God, we come and ask your blessings upon this time of invitation, especially for those who are without Christ, that even today they might be saved. Lord, may your Holy Spirit move in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the choir sings, you come. I'll greet you as you do.